You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. Uh, Kristen V. Brown, uh, she's a Futures of Health reporter for Bloomberg News, and we're going to be talking about uh, genomic data and the difficulty of uh, what to do with it once it's quote-unquote out there. So, Kristen, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So tell me, what you know, what, what have you been reporting on that, uh, again, in this arena that you want to talk about? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that we're in this really interesting moment, right, where the human genome is more accessible than ever. You know, you can pay $100, send away a tube of your spit and find out about your ancestry, find out about your health, you know, what diseases you're at risk for, what diseases you're at risk for passing on to your children. But that accessibility means that that information is also accessibility or that accessibility means that that information is also potentially accessible to people that we may not want to see that information. I think that we're in this really interesting moment where a lot of health stuff is not in the clinic, right? You don't go to your doctor's office for these tests. It's on the consumer side, but most of the existing protections are within the health world. So we have these health things that are in the consumer space and they don't have the protections that health information typically has. So we're seeing a lot of tensions in this moment because as things become more accessible, there aren't the protections that typically exist to make sure that that information doesn't fall into bad hands. So what were some of your personal experiences? Did you have data at uh, various places and did you tell them, hey, delete it? Then they would or wouldn't. Yeah, so this is a really interesting thing, actually. Um, you know, a, a lot of people think, you know, once my data's out there, I could just get it back from the company, which I mean, I think that this is a lesson for outside of the world of DNA testing, too, right? If you share your data with a company, first of all, it's unclear how many people they have shared it with. So you may be able to get it back from that company, but it's unclear where else that data has traveled, right? So the best way to protect your data and your privacy is always just to not give anybody your data, right? Um, 
But the interesting twist in the world of genomics is that if you are doing a DNA test that involves health in any way, that information is governed by CMS, the federal agency. And one of the things that they do is make sure that the laboratories processing your data are, are up to snuff, right? That their machines are calibrated correctly, that they're basically, you know, practicing good sound science in the lab. On one of the requirements of those rules is that they hang on to samples so that if there is ever a problem, they can rerun the test and see where the problem was. So it's actually a rule that exists for a good reason. Um, you know, it's to make sure that the information that, that you get back when you do any kind of lab test is quality and that you can check that quality. But the side note there is that if you want to delete your data from, say, 23andMe, they actually legally can't just delete it because you asked them to. I mean, they could delete it from certain places, but they're required to hang on, required by federal law to hang on to some of your information so that there can be quality checks in the future if necessary. Yeah, but that's so it's crazy. kind of misleading to these companies. Well, it's not crazy, right? I mean, it's a federal law for a reason. It's to make sure that the information you receive is quality. It's to hold these companies accountable. I think that what's if perhaps you, if, crazier, you, uh, if you fill out a waiver and you disclaim the fact that, okay, I understand you can't check on the quality, you know, and by deleting this, I agree that I will not challenge the quality of this data ever. I mean, that sounds like a more sensible well, thing to do. Maybe, but I mean, you're talking about changing like federal regulations, right? So that that piece is not up to 23andMe or Ancestry.com or any of those other companies. The companies are just complying with existing federal law and regulation. But I think what's crazier is that the companies do give you the illusion that you can delete your data. You know, they all have a button that says delete data or an email address you can write to to ask that your data is deleted, and there they do not disclose that they actually can't delete everything. So I think that that's where it's misleading, um, is that there is the perception that if you no longer are comfortable with these companies housing your data, you can delete it, but they actually can't if they're processing health information. So do you believe that change is possible, or do you think uh, nothing we can do, we throw our hands up? Uh, I, I think that it's very difficult to change uh, federal regulations. Well, yeah, they got there in the first place. I mean, what, so what were you hoping to accomplish with your, your article about this? Is to you know, call attention to this, which is very important, but, but then what? I think, that, I think that the most important thing, it's not that doing a DNA test is bad, right? Some people learn really, informa- really interesting information about their heritage that's important to them. Some people learn interesting and important information about their health. But I think the most important thing is that people are aware of just how much they're sharing, right? Because when you share your spit with a 23andMe or an Ancestry, you're sharing very sensitive information about not just you, but about people related to you. You know, if my genetic information became public, somebody might also infer things about my brother or about my mother, right? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's even uh, more exposing than other kinds of information that we share on the internet with, with big tech companies. 
because most of their information doesn't also expose people that we're related to. So I think that the key here is that people understand the privacy trade-off that they make when they share this information. All right. So in certain circumstances, it can't be totally deleted. Is it still subpoenaable, you know, by law enforcement if needed, if they find out? Uh, I'm actually, uh, law enforcement wouldn't subpoena your actual genetic um, like they wouldn't the subpoena. Crime. Well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't subpoena your sample. Um, I am. Unco- I don't know how. Um, I, I think that's a tough question to ask because I think it depends on how Ancestry Twenty Three. It depends on how individual companies structure their yeah, internal. You, you may not. You may not know. That's totally okay. I'm just pointing out maybe that there's a possibility there that. Since it can't be totally yeah, deleted. Yeah, it may be possible. Maybe it could be, uh, yeah, I just, I just think it's not useful to, like, raise a question that what? is hard to answer. Um, okay. Um, yeah. So what's, uh, in terms of the sharing, are you able to tell these companies not to share data? Or do they just do it anyway? Do they have it buried in their terms of use? What have you found out in that regard? Well, I mean... Similar to your information when you go to the doctor's office, right? I mean, I think that we have uh, a misinformed idea that if I go to my doctor, um, my doctor's the only person who sees my information. But actually, there is a huge market for buying and selling de-identified health information. And some of it's for good reason, right? For research, um, to, to understand more about insurance billing. Um, but usually any health information is extremely valuable, right? And then also there's cases in which your information is shared just as part of doing business, right? You need to share it with the cloud server that hosts the electronic medical records, right? So, I mean, 23andMe and other companies always disclose in their privacy policy that they are sharing your information as part of the course of doing business, right? For example, they're obviously sharing your information with the laboratory that processes the data, with um, with anybody who's hosting web content, right? So there's a lot of people who see your data just as a part of doing business. And then the second piece that is you are able to opt out of is whether you want your research, your whether you want your genetic information used for research. So do you think that this would be I mean, just leaked out because of data breaches, or it could be going to all kinds of third parties regardless. And is it pseudonymized? I think is that when you, when you share any data, there is a risk of it being exposed. And the more people see that data, the bigger the risk of exposure, right? The more times that data is getting transferred from one place to another, the more risk there is. So again, I think this comes back to, it's important to just, know the risks when you share your data, especially when you share your data today in this world where every company is contracting with Amazon and Google cloud services, where there's a third party lab. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of people that touch our data when we share it. And the more connections there are, the bigger the risk of exposure. So what kind of questions do you think you could ask to determine how your data is being shared and if you should worry about it. Again, these companies make clear 
that your data is being shared for research if you opt in. And most companies are very clear about who they have research partnerships with, right? Uh, And they're also clear that they're third parties they share your information with in the course of doing business. To my knowledge, these companies do not typically share the names of all of those third parties because to some extent that might be like giving away the secret sauce, right? Of, of who they're contracting with, of all these things. So, I mean, th- there's, not, there's not a way to necessarily see everybody that looks at your data. Well, maybe try but going to I one of these places. Mo- and, uh, we but if you went to one of these places and you said to them, you know, I, I read your terms, wonderful. You know, you can't disclose everyone you share it with, fine. But I have this stipulation that if you share it with anybody, it has to be pseudonymized. You can share the data portion, but not any of the personal contact info portion. Maybe say that. Yeah. See how they respond I mean, in many stuff. cases, the data, in, in many cases, the data that is being shared is anonymized, what's called de-identified usually when we're talking about health or medical information. But the thing about genetic information is it's inherently identifying, right? So just because my name, my sex, my address isn't attached to it, doesn't mean that you couldn't infer that it's me. So, I mean, this is a particularly tricky thing about health information and especially the genetic information is that it's possible to re-identify somebody even if the genetic information has been de-identified. Yeah, I've heard that uh, some mathematicians have worked out ways to do that in certain circumstances. I don't know which ones, but sure, it's possible. I guess there's no 100% bulletproof way to do it, but People at least should be yeah, aware I mean, of the I level think, to which they're either protected or not protected, right? Right. And I mean, that's the thing. At this point, if you wanted to re-identify somebody from de-identified data, it would be a lot of work. You would have to be highly motivated for some reason to do that. It's not just like some 15-year-old bored after school doing that, right? But it's hard to tell how easy or difficult that may be in the future, right, as technology advances. It's hard to tell how revealing the genome may be in the future as we learn more from it. So again, the important thing is to just be aware that if you share your genetic data, your privacy is compromised. And I think that at this point, in my mind, the best thing is that we need more protections for how genetic information may be used if it is compromised, right? Like right now, there are some protections, right? We have the Genetic Information Non-Disclosure Act of, uh, excuse me, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008, uh, which makes it so that an employer or a health insurer cannot discriminate against you based on your genetic information. But that law does not protect everything. It does not protect life insurers from discriminating against you, for example. So I think that we're at this point where it's become very clear that in the not too distant future, many, many, many people will have shared their genetic information. And that means that even if you have not shared your genetic information, somebody that you are related to probably will have. And so your information will still be vulnerable. So I think that the best tact at this point is probably less protecting privacy of that information and more to make sure that when privacy is compromised, that that information cannot be used against someone. Well, there are countries that are uh, moving towards or they're requiring you know, all people born in that country to be sequenced. 
and for that database to be, uh, you know, to be kept. Like Kuwait, you know, I could see uh, in 2015, they required, uh, they passed a law requiring all citizens and permanent residents have their DNA taken for a national database. And they struck it down. Yeah, I mean, in in Kuwait, that is partly, yeah. So so some countries are doing that. It's, It's mostly small countries and often it's places that are motivated to do so for health reasons, right? For example, Iceland. Um, has been very far ahead of the curve right now, but that's largely motivated by the fact that they have a small population. They're trying to prevent um, bad genetic matches, right? Basically, they're trying to prevent inbreeding um, within their population. And um, in, in Kuwait, I think that, and some of the other Arab nations that are doing this, I think that preventing specific genetic diseases and also preventing close family marriages is, is motivating some of that work. Okay. So what do you think is going to be the, uh, the near term future of uh, DNA collection or other genomic data collection? And where do you think all this is going? I mean, it's getting cheaper and people are interested. I think that in this current moment, there's, there may be a slowdown because there's so much awareness of privacy and fear of companies like Facebook and Google and how they're using our information. But I think in the long term, more and more people are going to be interested in getting their genome sequenced or or genotyped. You think you're going to be doing more articles in this arena? I mean, I, I write about this area all the time. Okay. So plenty more. Excellent. So where's the best place for people to find more of your articles and your writing and to you know see where your stuff is? Yeah, uh, so I'm a reporter at Bloomberg, and if you just type my byline into the search bar at Bloomberg, you can find everything that I've written. Okay, very, very simple. Any uh, any closing thoughts on this? Uh, you know, that now that you've gone through the process of trying to get your data deleted from various sources, like, you know, what, what, you, what kind of feeling are you left with? I would just say that in this time where we are sharing so much information all the time, that it's just important to be aware of how that information could be looked at or interpreted by someone else. If you want something to never be seen by anybody else, do not share it. That's the only way to protect your privacy. Mm. Well, very good. Well, Kristen, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, where we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. 
Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.